This is definitely not Smells Like Yukon. The podcast that claims to be nothing at all like Smells Like Yukon, but for all intents and purposes is almost exactly the same. I'm Jesse DeVost. In each episode, my friend Mark Kepke and I take Yukon podcasting to the next level, maybe even to the subatomic level reserved only for time travelers. Remember 2006? We were all wondering if there could ever be a president worse than George W. Bush. Yukon's MP was a swinging young bachelor named Larry Bagnall. And my friend Mark and I dreamed of becoming stars on local CBC radio. In 06, a national show called Q was really catching fire. So we pitched a version called Y, where we'd interview Yukon celebrities. But, like a couple of super annoying toddlers, the only question we'd ever ask would be, why? CBC took a pass. Back then, a radio drama called Afghanida was also making waves. So Mark and I pitched Iraq, where a crack team of Yukon bureaucrats is sent to Baghdad to help rebuild the country. Then they somehow managed to misplace 36.5 million barrels of oil. CBC passed on that one, too. Finally, Mark and I thought, why not stick to our true calling, real journalism, asking the tough questions, never taking you can't be serious for an answer. And that was the birth of Smells Like Yukon. From its name, to its sound, to its sensibility, Smells Like Yukon was like nothing else on CBC, and I mean ever. For three years and 25 episodes, Mark and I took a no-nonsense approach to scratching and sniffing the Yukon experience. We'd do almost anything to get to the bottom of an important story. We'd dig a pit toilet in the Walmart parking lot. That's okay. That might not be a good idea. <laughs> okay, no, we We'd assault an unsuspecting spouse with a rancid ski glove. Uh, Mark, get this away from me. Or we'd spend hours grinding moose meat into a drinkable liquid. Starting to get creamy. And just to be clear, we did put the Worcestershire sauce in there? Yeah, yeah. But that's a secret ingredient. Yeah, we'll edit that out. Sadly, Smells Like Yukon came to an end in 2009. CBC discovered my PhD in journalism was a forgery, and so was Mark's reference letter from Hunter S. Thompson. Or maybe the reason was budget cuts. To save money, Mark and I proposed a brilliant plan. We turned the two Daves, Dave White and Dave Croft, into one Super Dave who would work for less. The union didn't go for it. So we were truly done. But at least we achieved our main goal, to become the longest-running local CBC radio segment on a smell-related theme. No one can take that away from us. After Smells Like Yukon, Mark and I floundered for a while, maybe like 10 years or so. Now and then we'd reminisce about those thrilling days when we first met and fell in love with each other's passion for journalistic excellence. And then we start to think about the stories we never did. We also wonder, is there still an audience for Yukon's hardest-hitting investigative team? Do Yukoners even remember us? Certainly there were some positive signs. True story. A while back, one of us, well, I won't say it's who. Um, well, okay, it wasn't me. Jesse, you promised! <clears throat> okay, so one of us was at Whitehorse General about to enjoy a free sigmoidoscopy, which is 
like a colonoscopy for people who can't commit. Just, just look it up at your own risk. Anyway, as the procedure was about to start, the OR nurse suddenly asked, So, whatever became of Smells Like Yukon? Despite what happened next, she seemed like a fan. But you know, Mark and I weren't prepared to reboot Smells Like Yukon solely on the basis of one highly pleasant interaction with Yukon's healthcare system. Ten years is a long time to be off the air. Things can really change. For example, Arnold Hedstrom, the CBC producer who gave Smells Like Yukon in the original green light, finally retired. So blackmailing him into putting us on the air again was no longer a viable option. Still, Mark and I thought Arnold might be able to offer us some valuable insights. For sentimental and budgetary reasons, we wanted to take Arnold for a free coffee in the waiting room at EnviroLube. But Arnold likes his java with raw fish, so we hooked up for lunch at a local sushi restaurant instead. By the sounds of it, Arnold's retirement was going really well. How does it feel to be out of your pajamas before uh, noon? <laughs> oh, it feels pretty pretty good. Uh, once in a while I make it out of my pajamas b- before noon. Um, yeah, there's no real incentive to, to do anything else but sit around and watch TV, read books, drink too much coffee, because it doesn't matter if you don't get to sleep at night. Just take you back to when we first came and pitched uh, the series Smells Like Yukon to you. Can you tell us what was it that made you give this uh, crazy idea a green light? Well, I think what it was is there, you know, in the traditional media, the people who were working at the CBC as reporters, I mean, they only, they only come across a certain type of story. And what appealed to me about Smells Like Yukon is that there's all these stories out, out there, all these interesting people doing interesting things and stuff happening, and nobody was telling those stories. So do you, do you think there will be a public appetite for a reboot of Smells Like Yukon? I, yeah. There's still stories out there to be told. There's uh, lots and lots of stories, and, uh, and it's just a question of uh, ferreting them out. Do you think CBC would be interested in this still? Oh, that's a real tough question. Um, y- yes, for a price. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think money's probably still an issue, and I think money was kind of what drove a lot of the freelancers uh, away from the CBC in the first place. There just wasn't the money for smells like Yukon or tech columns or recording music. It all just kind of vanished, which was really sad because uh, it's an element of the of the community that um, deserves to have airtime, and and in this day and age, digital time, web page time television time the whole nine yards do you have any dirt on any of the people at cbc that we might be able to use to leverage our way back onto the air oh boy (laughs) yeah I, i do arnold seemed a little reluctant to dish on his former colleagues so mark and i did what we do best asked a series of probing questions hoping to shake loose some embarrassing material that we could use for compromat do you know anyone who works there who's maybe still wearing Toronto Maple Leaf underoos from their childhood? Or uh, maybe wrote a highly erotic stage play that's never been produced? Or cries when they watch This Is Us? Or even just watches This Is Us? <laughs> well, those ones are, those are good ones. Those are the ones I think you'd have to dig a bit deeper to, to uh, unearth. Luckily, for you people at CBC, your secrets are safe with Arnold. Even the oh-so-tempting promise of an executive producer credit on her new show couldn't convince him to sell you out. As her lunch wound down, there was just one more thing we had to ask Arnold. 
Jesse and I have heard rumors that at one point back when we were on the air on CBC, uh, you commissioned some market research that showed that uh, Jesse and I and Smells Like Yukon were extremely popular with a uh, beautiful women uh, with impeccable taste. And I was just wondering, did you manage to get a copy of that research report like we asked? <laughs> oh, that's, that's deep, 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 deep in the, uh, in the basement of the CBC somewhere. Yeah, there, there's filing cabinets upon filing cabinets of stuff down there, right beside all the old vinyl. After sticking Arnold with the bill for lunch, Mark and I had a long discussion. And not just about how to break into CBC's basement. We finally decided that rebooting Smells Like Yukon as a podcast would be the easiest way to reclaim our rightful position as Yukon's most trusted journalists. For starters, we'd no longer have to confine our brilliance to six-minute segments, or work to deadlines, or conform to any kind of public radio broadcast standard. Free from CBC's ruthless censors, we could say dong 50 times per episode, even if our subject had nothing to do with the Vietnamese currency. If we wanted to, we could even spoof the names of CBC radio shows with total impunity. On the downside, we realized that our only compensation would come in the form of public adulation. And make no mistake, we expected to hear a lot of compliments from the focus group we decided to organize to discuss our proposed Smells Like Yukon reboot. Our ideal participants were people who really, truly had nothing productive to do with their time. Sadly, the lineups outside Cannabis Yukon had finally disappeared, which meant that organizing our focus group would require some actual effort. So we handcrafted some pretty invites and mailed them out to a lot of beautiful women with impeccable taste. When the big day finally arrived, Mark whipped up a fresh batch of tasty Yukon A's, and I cleaned my bathroom. Now it was time to listen to all the nice things these ladies had to say. So this is the part where we should probably hear the doorbell ringing, right? Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. Did we get the date wrong? Alexa, bring up the lights. Shut off the music. Apparently, all the beautiful women with impeccable taste were busy at craft fairs and pop-up shops or, or whatever. So Mark and I decided we'd just use the guys we have lunch with every Friday as our focus group. Unfortunately, they're all middle-aged and think Borat is funny. Even worse, only two of them actually showed up for lunch. Okay, I'd like to thank you both for participating in our focus group. Uh, you're not the people we wanted, really, but uh, I guess you'll do. I know this is a stupid question, but do you remember Smells Like Yukon? Barely. Uh, that's what I remember. Uh, yeah, vaguely. Yeah, it was. I think I remember the coffee shop one of going around to the to the various gas stations. It wasn't actually gas stations. It was. It was more of a, a oil change place. I think it was in Viroloop. So, of all the things you loved about smells like Yukon, what did you love the most? I, I don't remember saying I loved it. It, it was kind of a it was sort of a show on the radio. You, you really don't have a lot of choices. Do you think that there's anything we could have done or not done that would have made Smells Like Yukon less brilliant than it actually was? Uh, I guess maybe if you guys weren't so corrupted with the amount of money you guys earned from CBC, would it be possible for the Beatles to make a bad album? I mean, that's sort of what I'm driving at. Like, there was just so much talent there that it doesn't seem realistic to think that they could have, you know... 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's possible for the Beatles to, or it would have been possible for the Beatles to make a bad album, but I can definitely see Smells Like Yukon doing a bad podcast. I think it's possible. I, I'm just trying to picture you, Mark, doing a podcast. You just don't really seem like a podcasting kind of guy. Like, I guess one thing I'm kind of curious about, Mark, do you even own a device that can listen to a podcast? I, like, I got a computer. I think that, that'll work, won't it? It's kind of a pain dragging it around everywhere I go. But uh, So one final question is, how positive an impact do you think that rebooting Smells Like Yukon is going to have on uh, our other career prospects, especially Jesse, for example? I, I can't believe you use his real name. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's hard to describe how Mark and I felt as we listened to our focus group. Based on this feedback, and all the other feedback we had received, we realized that there was only one way forward. Now, for thinking that way is to delete our interview recordings and resume our quiet, boring lives as media has been. Well, I'm not sure what you think you've been doing for the last ten minutes or so. After doing exhaustive research, Mark and I confirmed that there are in fact people who remember Smells Like Yukon and wouldn't be totally disinterested in some kind of reboot. And yet we realized that these same people, and lots of others, might prefer a podcast that is different from Smells Like Yukon in every possible way. This kind of change, real change, is never easy. It demands introspection. It requires commitment. It takes time. We totally get it. But Mark and I also know that nominal change requires almost no effort. That said, we hope you enjoyed the first episode of our brand new podcast series, Definitely Not Smells Like Yukon. We're not sure if it's brilliant or if it's merely great, but we're pretty sure it's like nothing you've ever heard before, assuming you can't remember ever listening to Smells Like Yukon in the first place. So, here's to fresh starts with false premises. You have been listening to Smells Like You Can, or definitely not Smells Like You Can. It depends on your personal preference. Join Jess and Mark for the next episode, when they will start a six-part expose on Yukon's most contaminated sites. First stop, the comments section of the White Horse Stars Online Edition. Until the next time, keep on smelling on, or not smelling on. Are you serious? This again?